generals gathered in their masses Just like witches at black masses Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning Alrighty then, it is time to talk a little smack. And the only way to do that is with Bob and Jack. Welcome to another episode of Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. Jack Windsor, the birthday boy, kind of, sort of, a little while ago. What's going on, my friend? Hey, yes, thank you for letting the world know I'm a year older. And uh, yeah, I'm doing super fantastic, Bob. It's great to be here with you. Uh, I want to start by saying uh, today's episode is sponsored by the Freedom Foundation. Now, remember, the Freedom Foundation, they created optouttoday.com. That's the number one tool to free government employees from union bondage. So if you go to freedomfoundation.com, you can learn more and you can make a 501c3 tax deductible donation and your donation will be doubled if you put talking smack in the notes. So thank you to the Freedom Foundation and thank you for tuning in and thanks for remembering my birthday, Bob. Honestly, yeah. uh, I appreciate that. It was good. It was a great birthday. Uh, time, time with friends, time with some family, and uh, it was super fantastic. Awesome. Another trip around the sun never hit anybody. Of course, that's what I'm taking, as you can tell by my background here. I feel the need for speed. You, this would be a cool thing. Dude, Jack, no joke. It was right before we started you know, recording this, this podcast. I was looking around, just goofing around, looking for a fun virtual background, right? And I, I swear to you, nobody said this to me. I swear to you. I just thought to myself, I wonder if I can put myself in front of a scene, anything. And then I thought, literally, I swear to God, I'm not stealing anybody's idea, hand to God, uh, as, 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 I, as I tell you this. And I thought, maybe if I'm like in the cockpit of uh, in a top, top Gun Maverick, by the way, one of the best movies I've seen in years maybe a decade or two. I don't know. It was really, really good. I saw it twice. Once in the theater on IMAX, which is the only way to see that movie. My gosh. And then also at home. Anyway, I just thought it would be cool. And so I looked for, and I just Googled, I don't use Google. I used, uh, what did I use? Brave. Uh, uh, I used Brave. I, and I typed up uh, uh, Maverick uh, cockpit flight scene or some crap like that, just to see what would come up. And this came up, as you can see there. It's exactly that. Hey, it's the Tom Cruise filter. That's fantastic. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, I'm going to put myself in that. So I just uploaded it as a virtual background, and I put my, you know, I'm sitting in where you. Jack, is that not a million-dollar idea? I looked on, after I did this, I, I did another Brave search, and I searched, um, uh, you know, um, uh, virtual reality self simulator or self uh, insertion into movie scene, or any, and nothing came up. It was just pictures of whatever, and nothing came up. Wouldn't that be a really cool thing to do? And actually, uh, you know, you'd probably have to probably be expensive because you'd have to buy the rights to each one of these pictures from each one of these movies or whatever. But like, you could put yourself, I don't know, on the shrimp boat in Tom Hanks' place, or you could put yourself in space. And <laughs> there you go. You know, that wasn't bad. Day, yeah, um, you know, or like Apollo three. I don't know, just goofy scenes or whatever. I think that's kind of cool as a, and that's not optimized for this. I just pulled a picture off the internet and sat in front of it. 
But if you optimize them for people to do that, to sit in front of as virtual backgrounds, um, I don't know, kind of cool. Could it be kind of cool? I think it could be very cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it would be uh, super cool to see yourself in, you know, those key scenes of, of, of key movies. Uh, going back, though, by the way, to your idea that Maverick's one of the best movies ever. Yeah. I have to agree. I saw it in theaters, uh, in a theater with Whitney when we were in Florida. And uh, interestingly enough, she just watched it again last week. And really? I didn't realize this. I think they said this at the beginning of the movie, perhaps, and I may have missed it uh, the first time. But do you know that they went to f flight school and they that was not a simulation? They were flying those planes. Is that crazy? I, I didn't realize that until Whitney brought that up to me last week. I know that Tom Cruise has been doing that. He's got his pilot's license. He flies a lot of these things. And I mean, not the craziest stunts, all that CGI in the movie, like, you know, coming out of the, uh, you know, the, the valley and up the mountainside up and all the, the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, not that, but, but yeah, I knew Tom Cruise did. I did not know that any of the other actors that were playing the fighter pilots learned that and did it too i knew tom cruise was doing that for a long he's a nut he's he, a, um, he, he, he does in. all of his own stunts did you know that i mean like all the mission yes. impossible things the cliff hanging things and the motorcycle jumps he's broken bones and stuff because he's he i mean he is talk about a dude dedicated to his craft um i he he died yeah but i didn't know the other guys flew too yeah i didn't either and I, i'll have to fact check that but uh According to my conversation with Whitney, she said, no, they were in, uh, I don't know, three months of flight school, like 12 to 13 hours a day. And wow. several of those scenes, they're literally in the sky. And I thought, holy smokes, man. I, that, that's crazy to me. That is cool. Um, I, you know, I can fly, but I don't know if I could fly like that. Oh, um, my gosh. That, that's, uh, that takes commitment. Uh, that's a movie that took commitment. But it is – it probably adds to, you know, the entire – uh, I don't know chemistry, the entire uh, performance. It was it was awesome. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, let's fact check that and see if Whitney's full of Whitney or if she's spot on on this one. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. I want to know if all those actors. I'll let you tell her if she's wrong, Bob. I'm not going to. That. <laughs> That's smart move. That's a smart move. But uh, anyway, yeah. So I just had a little fun with the virtual background here. So enjoy that. It'll be even more fun if I was like Rocky or something and getting blasted in the face by Clubber Lang or something. That's just a neat idea. I really think you could make virtual backgrounds of all these different scenes and let people use them for their Zooms and their podcasts and their whatevers. It could be a, a really fantastic idea. So if anybody uses it, I want rights. Right now, I get a cut because if anybody makes that company, if some company starts producing these virtual reality – or I'm sorry, virtual backgrounds from uh, from movies – uh, you heard it here first. I right? just want that to be clear. All right, J-Dub, uh, let's have a little fun. For those who don't know, of course you wouldn't know. We just started the show and we didn't tell yet. We don't have a guest on the program today, and we're not just going to uh, talk about the one major topic of the day because that could be very different for everybody. And, Jack, that's what we do all the time anyway. We try to stay topical and newsworthy and so forth. But today we decided to do something different. Rather than strategizing and game planning on the uh, – you know, on the topic of the day and kicking it around and we'll talk about this element or that element or whatever. Jack, I said, pick some topics and I'll pick some topics and we won't tell each other and we'll do them five, 10 minutes at a time. We'll just fire one question or topic at the other guy for spontaneous, unscripted, unplanned, unresearched, unprepped response and see what the hell happens. 
I think it could be fun. I've got I've got five or six topics that I'm ready to rock with for uh, for you, Jack. Okay. Uh, you've got yours, and I'll let you go first. But I I just think this could be a little bit of fun here. I have no idea what you're going to ask me, so I'm not prepped for it. But I'll see what I can do, and vice versa. Okay. What do you think? Well, yeah. I, let's let's do it, man. Uh, I have several thoughts in my mind. I'll, I'll start here. So you know, Bob, we talked last week about the coup of 22 and the speaker steal of 23 as it's so affectionately been called throughout the buckeye state since uh around january 3rd uh obviously i'm referring to did you uh, come Derek up with Marin. that by the way i i've been crediting yes. you okay yes on, on the radio whenever i talk about the speaker steal of 23 or speaker steal 23 or whatever i i say i think jack windsor came up with that but i wasn't sure yeah, that's not something that we published in the news uh, outlet, uh, but it is something that I've talked about on uh, you know these podcasts and places where I can editorialize a little bit. Yep. But um, Derek Marin uh, was the guy that was supposed to win the speaker's gavel because the Republicans who have a supermajority in the Ohio House of Representatives decided that behind closed doors. Um, but there was a coup, and it was led by Jason Stevens, who is now the Speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives. He worked to pick off 22 Republicans, uh, 21 actually, 22 including himself, who had previously committed in caucus that they were going to vote for Marin. Although I do have to correct that. Scott Olslanger, I understand now, did not commit to that. He actually left the room when everybody voted that, hey, we're going to back Marin on January 3rd. So uh, Stevens partnered with uh, 21 other Republicans and 32 Democrats to undo what the Republicans did in the caucus and make sure that Derek Marin wasn't the speaker. So, Bob, we talked a lot about why we think it happened and um, what people on Derek Marin's team are saying happened and why it happened. So my first question for you is, do you know what Jason Stevens and uh, some members of his team are saying uh, is behind the reason that they decided to vote for him um, and, and maybe why Democrats chose to vote for Stevens, because remember, they're saying there was no deal. He didn't do anything to sweeten the deal for us. So that's my first question. Do you know the narrative now that the uh, coup of 22 is pitching? Um, <clears throat> first of all, why did Olschlager leave the room? Do you have to take a leak right at that moment? Or was he making a statement? I don't have to commit to the what the other sixty-six members of my super super majority wanted to commit to. Yeah. So the comment I heard because I asked the same question, and the answer to that was, well, he's not uh, a confrontational person. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, did he leave because he didn't want to say no, or did he <laughs> did he? What's more would confrontational? He have voted yes because. What's more confrontational being the, than being the only one of 67 to leave the room and not be there to agree to that? You just stood, stood out as being confrontational. You literally just said, no, I'm not going along with the rest of you. That's, That's right. That doesn't tell all 66 of them, the rest of them, that they're in a different place than you are. How is that not confronting them? I'm sorry. Go on. No, no, no. I'm, I'm with you. So uh, that's the question, though. Do you, are you familiar with the narrative at all? Um, no. I'm not. Okay. I'm not. Okay. Other than other than uh, you know, when I talked to Derek Marin on Thursday, I believe it's Thursday uh, last week, uh, for about a good twenty five minutes, got some really in depth uh, information on. Him. Oh, by the way, I want to start a stopwatch on this so we can make sure we work our way through our topics. What should I set it for? Six uh, minutes of topics. Seven minutes. Four of topic? more minutes. 
Oh, right. oh let's do five or six for each topic is fine right. with me. All right, I'll set it for four more. And I'll give you my short answer here, and I'll let you okay. go with more information because I don't have a ton. Um, but I, I talked to Derek Marin about what his thoughts were, and he said, you know, look, there are, there are many of the guys that are on that gang of 22, many of the people, that he does consider conservatives. And he really thinks are probably good people, well, not are probably, are good people, um, who made a decision that for whatever reason they thought was right for them or made a decision they thought was right for their constituents or whatever. Um, but he did, he, he declined to talk about specifics about what they wanted, what they thought that he couldn't provide or what they thought they could get from the Democrats in a deal, uh, to get them to come on board and vote for Jason Stevens. So, uh, he talked at length about why he is the way he is and what he plans to do going forward. But, and I talked to three or four different members of the Gang of 22 that were part of this speaker steal, as you, uh, to coin your phrase. Um, and they've all just said the same thing. Nope, there was no deal. Nope. You know, one guy said it was just right for my district, right for my, uh, the people, you know, my constituents. You know, uh, uh, this is, you know, about unity and, st- about, and stability. I did not get any specifics about what their, what their belief is Jason Stevens could bring that Derek Marin could not. Uh, other than that he's a little bit more malleable and able to perhaps negotiate with the Democrats more, and that's why the Democrats uh, would support him. So that's really all I have, Jack, uh, to be 100% honest. Okay. Well, I, it was interesting. So, you know, we talked about this uh, ad nauseum last time, but uh, the first thing I heard out of the gate was a little bit about what you just said, that Derek Marin maybe wasn't a good leader, wasn't organized enough. Uh, he didn't call me. He promised me a spot on the leadership team, right? All of these, what I would call ticky tacky examples. Now, there was one thing that And those aren't necessarily accurate, by the way. They may be saying no. that, but I asked Marin about that. And he said, while he was at his father's side, bedside, in hospice care, dealing with that family tragedy that, of course, led to his father's death. And we all uh, offered our condolences and prayers for that. But he was making calls. He was talking yep. to people. He was talking to Jason Stevens. He was talking yep. about all of them about leadership and committee. So they, they, they say he neglected and lacked, you know, the, 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 the personal skills to reach out and organize. And, and Derek tells me that's not true. Sorry, go on. Uh, several others told me that, that that's not true as well. Uh, but we also heard the counterpoint to that, right? That, well, he actually reached out to Allison Russo and the Democrats first. And he said, well, I'm going to be speaker. So my job is to communicate with them and understand mm-hmm. uh, kind of what their objectives are, get the calendar set, you know, committee assignments. Uh, you know, that's one of the big keys is like figuring out which mm-hmm. committee does each person want to be on. Um, but it, but it's interesting, right? So they're saying, well, he didn't call anybody. But, well, wait a minute. He called Allison Russo. But I, I thought it was interesting when I talked to – and it was well over a dozen lawmakers uh, when we broke the story about the coup, actually the night before it happened. And then, you know, the next day it happened. Uh, You know, I heard a lot of what we just said. And I did have one person say to me, you know, this is really, I want to be off the record here. He said, he said, this is is really about making sure that Matt Huffman does not become, um, you know, an eight year speaker in the Ohio House. Um, so that's the scuttlebutt now. And, and I had, you know, I had to have that explained to me a little bit, you know, Huffman right now is the Senate president. Mm-hmm. Um, but the goal was, uh, according to the person that told me back then and someone who separately told me over the weekend, interestingly enough, neither one of them wanted to go on the record. So take that for what it's worth. Um, but the idea is that Matt Huffman, who's the Senate president, um, he's going to term out in the Senate. He wants to run for the House again. Um, and then I believe he would have, what, four 
two-year terms that he could be in the house. And so, um, you know, Derek can be, could be speaker for two years. And then they were saying, well, we're going to have this long stretch of Matt Huffman and conservatives don't like Matt Huffman is, is the, um, is the reason that I got that he sat on several pieces of legislation while he was in the Senate. And I said, okay, well, that's interesting. Why would the Democrats not want Matt Huffman? And uh, the rumor is that um, he didn't play well on the redistricting commission, that he split up uh, districts that were heavily, you know, Democrat just for the sake of doing it, wasn't really kind, didn't respond to communications. Um, and Bob well, Cup apparently I'll, went over well with the Democrats. So our, our, that's our timer. The, our timer is up here, Jack. So I'm going to jump in and say this. If they don't want Matt Huffman to come over and win four straight two-year terms, then vote him out. Out, you, you outvote him. If you're concerned about that, fine, let him come over. And if he wins, that's your choice. You still have this. You're still going to have the supermajority. And if he wins another one after that and another one after that, I mean, what are they saying? Nobody's forcing him on them, right? Am I am I missing something there? No, no. But um, the conversation I had over the weekend was, well, look, this is, um, you know. This is the deeply rooted, um, moderate rhino Republican faction that really wants him to get into this, uh, the House and then and then become Speaker, and and we don't want that. So, but are there more of those? Is there are there more of those in the rhino Republican faction than the conservative faction? Because right now, I would say no, since it's forty five to, tw to to twenty two, as you pointed out, you know, forty five is bigger than twenty two. Yeah, and so the argument is that Jason Stevens is super conservative, and um, he could be in that speaker's role longer. Um, which, you know, I, I I don't know I don't know if I buy that. I mean, there yeah. there's a lot you can do to. I mean, there's a lot you can undo. Um, I mean, within a caucus, I'm I'm certain if they wanted to pick a better speaker, they could. Um, but I, I digress. I'm going too far in the weeds on that. But I That's just okay. thought it was extremely interesting. Um, no, it is. But in the interest of doing, yeah, but it, no, I agree with you. It is. And and there will be a time for a much longer conversation on that. But for tonight's purposes, we yep. want to roll through a bunch of different topics. Now, this is the fun part for me. You've asked me your first one. I don't know what my first one is going to be for you. I took the liberty prior to the podcast of sending screenshots of the topics I wanted to discuss for you to Bruce. Okay. And I asked Bruce to put them in whatever random order he wants. That way I get a little spontaneity too. I don't know which one is coming up here, but I do know it's a question for you. So Bruce, fire away. Oh, there it is, the first one. This is Mike Bianchi, a columnist in the Orlando Sentinel, covers the Jaguars, obviously. After the Jaguars had that incredible comeback on Saturday, Actually, I think this was before that game, January 11th, but they had that incredible comeback and won a playoff game on Saturday just a year after Urban Meyer was fired after 13 games of his career as a professional football coach. He was 2-11, and and everybody in the locker room hated him. The culture was abysmal. So there you see it. Bianchi says, the rise of the Jaguars proves Urban Meyer was the worst coach in all of NFL history. Jack, I'm going to set the timer here. We're going to give us five minutes on it. 
is uh, Mike Bianchi. And he's not the only one, by the way. I read some others online. I just picked that screenshot who have said the same thing, that the fact that they went from 2-11 and 11 and everybody hating Urban Meyer to being a playoff team and actually just won a wild card game in a year proves that Urban Meyer was the worst ever to coach in the National Football League. And you say what? I say not so fast, my friend. Uh, I get the sentiment, but some names just came to mind for me and uh, I don't I can't spout off records but I'm thinking about a guy by the name of Lou Holtz uh, I'm thinking about Nick Saban I'm thinking about Greg Schiano if that's correct uh, there's a really long list of people who did well in college went to the pros did awful came back and had stellar careers as, as college coaches they're two separate ball games uh, or at least they used to be uh, th there's there's two entirely different types of culture so was urban Meyer a bad coach well yes he was at the NFL level but he's a he was a fantastic college coach but do I think he's the worst I don't know Hugh Jackson Hugh Jackson might have been the worst coach uh, I mean you could go through the the Browns organization over the past 20 years and probably find a handful of coaches that were uh, just as bad. So, um, no, I'm not trying to drink the Ohio State Urban Meyer Kool-Aid. I think he was uh, yes, I think you he are. made some really bad I think he made some really yes, bad choices as a coach. Um, and I think he had a terrible rotten record. Um, but is he the worst NFL coach of all time? Mm, I, I don't know if I buy that. Yeah, you are. And and, and I I posted this on an Ohio Sports Talk page on Facebook with run by some friends. Uh, and, you know, the Buckeye defenders came out and said, oh, we can't say that about Urban. Urban is, you know, he's he's a legend, you know, in Columbus. He's a national champion and, and, and beat Michigan seven straight times. And, you know, Urban is St. Urban. And you can't do that. You can't say that. But as the article points out, and as you pointed out, yes, Lou Holtz was a terrible NFL coach. He was 3-10. and 10. Yes, uh, Shiano was a terrible NFL coach. Yes, there are a number. As you pointed out, it's a different game. Steve Spurrier was terrible in the NFL, was yep. tremendous in, in college. But as the article points out, the X factor isn't just the record. It's that those guys lost and sucked and stunk with lousy teams. Urban lost and sucked at 2-11, and 11, was fired just one less than a year in. 13 games, and he was booted. 13 games, and that roster that sucked so bad under his leadership went to the playoffs the next year, and now are in the divisional round. None of those other teams, I mean, I don't have it memorized either, but I don't think that Lou Holtz's Jets team made the playoffs the year after they fired him, that the roster was so solid and strong and filled with enough good players, it was only his coaching that screwed it up. This situation would indicate that Urban Meyer, one of the best college coaches in history, in my opinion, I mean, really just behind Saban and, I don't know, we've got to look at even Woody or even Bear Bryant or whatever. Uh, uh, Bobby Bob. He's top five. He's he's, top yes, five he is. Book. No question about it. But I don't know that any of those other guys had a, a, coached a team that was talented enough to make the playoffs next year, but just sucked awfully under the years they were there. That's what makes this one so unique. Watching them right now, they look like a completely different franchise than the one Urban Meyer just piddled around with and completely, completely butchered. Yeah, so, I... Uh, 
you, you got you a got minute my, left on the got a minute you, left on this clock. You want to you want to do, do, do uh, well? I was going to say anymore? I was going to say Butch Davis, and and I thought the Browns went to the playoffs after Butch, but I could be wrong. Um, no, no, I hear you. It's a salient point. Uh, do I think he's the worst of all time? No, I think he made some. You know, I think what makes look um, if you don't if you don't perform, that's one thing. Um, but if you if you do the wrong things and and you um, don't do well, uh, I, I think that there's a, a special special type of resentment that fans have for you. And uh, I don't need to go back over Urban Meyer's sins, but um, you know he just he really made some poor choices. Yeah, um, he did. And and I think that probably adds to this. Uh, I think if he were, you know, because well, remember, he what some- the, remember what the player said? I mean, he treated them all like he was coaching college kids. You can yell at 19 and 20 year olds and That's make right. them afraid of you. You don't do that to grown men. You know what no. I mean? Who are 29, yep. 33, you know, veterans. He smacked the kicker or kicked the kicker or something like that when he missed a kick in practice and, and yelled at him. I mean, those now kind I of will- things, it just, it just, you can't, you can't do that in the NFL. I will tell you, I've talked to a former Ohio State kicker in the past year and a half who played under Urban Meyer, and the the one of the first things he said to me was, "I wish that I had not played under Urban Meyer." Um, he did not. I mean, he was renowned for having disrespect for kickers, especially, uh, yeah. which is a shame. Um, it is. So anyway, there it is. That's that's topic number one for me. I've got more locked and loaded uh, on the screen for you, but I don't know which one they're going to be. But it's your turn. Okay. Um, let's see. How do I how do I want to tee this up? You did a much better job than I did, Bob. Um, you've got you know visuals and titles and uh, let's talk about Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, we celebrated uh, his life today, uh, a federal holiday that was created back in 1983, and um, his uh, his holiday is is one of he's one of two. Uh, you know, the other is essentially George Washington, and then eventually it became President's Day, I believe. But um, do you think that— Don't forget Columbus Day, by the way. Uh, well, yes, you're, I, you're I, When you said correct. just two, I don't know what you mean. Like, just named after one individual? Um, no, actually, be... I stand corrected. That would be right. It would be okay. Columbus Day. Yep, okay. you're right. Continue. So there would be three. He would be one of three, I believe. Um, so— Higher education has abandoned Martin Luther King Jr. True or false, and why? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I've just set the five-minute clock. By the way, I'm hoping that the uh, the uh, buzzer is louder this time. Uh, it's not just higher education. Um, all of education, junior high education, high school education, anybody and everybody that if they're in school. They have abandoned Martin Luther King Jr. because they have intentionally killed his dream. Let me say that again. Intentionally killed his dream. We all know the speech, 1963. He stood there and and talked to over 200,000 people. Black and white people came from all over the country to hear him in this monumental speech in which he talked about the dream that he has. And one of the core lines of that dream is, I have a dream that one day my children will live in a nation where they will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now, Jack, as you know, Schools are teaching either under the name CRT, critical race theory, or not by name because of the controversy surrounding it, in practice. They're, they're inserting it into lessons, into math lessons. What do you mean? We don't teach CRT, but then you got word problems in there that basically talk about blacks and whites and, and differences and so forth. Critical race theory, for those who don't know, 
And if you're watching our podcast, I'm sure you do, so I apologize. But critical race theory is Marxist theory that says, and it's critical theory can be used for a lot of things, not just race, but in critical race theory, CRT, it says there are two, two groups of people. There are oppressors and there are victims. And you are on one side of that or the other. And you don't have a choice as to which one you are. It's because of the color of your skin. If you were born with lighter colored skin, you are an oppressor. It's in your DNA. You are an oppressor, the descendant of slave owners and hateful white bigots. If you have darker colored skin, you are a victim and you have no choice in the matter. You must be afraid of and should not like that, that person in the, the light colored skin over there. And you, uh, uh, you will all, you will never be given a fair shake in this country. This country is out to hurt you, out to demonize you, out to marginalize you, out to limit you. And that's, and then they tell the kids, go play. Go play together. You're oppressors. You're victims. Now we have to try to let uh, to see if we can make you know get you guys to get along. Jack, that is the 100% polar opposite of Martin Luther King's dream. King's dream says, "Don't judge on color of skin. Judge on content content of character." But today's lessons say, "Don't judge on content of character. Judge on color of skin." White oppressor, dark skin victim, always. And 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 anti-racism is is the only way. And anti-racism taught by those who, who promote CRT, anti-racism says that the only, um, the only, uh, not cure, what's the word? The only proper response to past discrimination is present day discrimination. And the only resolution for present discrimination is future discrimination. It's a constant right. intentional intent to divide, which is, of course, the exact opposite of what Martin Luther King's speech on unity was all about. Yeah, and you know the interesting thing you mentioned that straight away. Yeah, it was about sixty years, right, or so yes, ago. Sixty years. When he, when, when he gave that incredible talk, uh, and and it wasn't just an incredible talk. It was it was a talk backed by um, peaceful demonstration and a lifestyle uh, that he lived um, that brought about one of the most necessary changes in human history, and uh, it should be it, it should be a time period that we are proud of. Um, not one that we ignore. It should be one that we look at and go, hey, you know, this guy stood up and uh, made us take seriously some of the promises in our founding documents. It was a beautiful thing. But, you know, what happens today, Bob, when you utter those words, I've read this multiple times over the past couple of years. Well, of course, uh, you know, they're, they're saying you don't understand the nature of what Dr. King was talking about. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the alt-right whites who just absolutely obsess over that line of, you know, content of character versus color of skin, um, and they hate it. So uh, I believe it's Harvard and the University of North Carolina are currently yep. fighting at the Supreme Court level to maintain longstanding practice of discrimination based on skin color, based on race, and uh, which is the in ethnicity, which is the absolute antithesis. Now, you also mentioned, and I want to make sure that folks don't think you're making it up, that you said, hey, not only is, is CRT a thing, they can put a different label on it, but it just seeps into to every topical area, and it does. Look, I read um, a math problem that my daughter brought home last year, and I about fell out of my chair. I should have known better, but the math problem said, hey, if you have t uh, 20 apples and you have uh, four desks, how many apples do you need on on each of those desks in order for the apples to be distributed in equity? 
And of course, I picked up the phone right away and said, no, 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 no. We're doing math. We're not doing social justice. And you can say equally distributed. Um, but it is something that does not only exist at higher education. You're absolutely Correct. right. It exists at every level in our schools from, from uh, pre-K all the way up. Great question. Great question. Even if you don't have the video visual graphics that I've got. Uh, Big Bruce, your turn, my friend. Fire up the next graphic that uh, you've chosen in order. Your choice. Okay. This one is not too far off from the, the one you just asked me because it does have to do with race relations. Uh, I did an interview today um, with um, a gentleman by the name of... Uh, Gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this right now. What is his name? He was a f phenomenal guest. Uh, Adam Coleman. Adam Coleman, who wrote a Substack uh, column about this, an article about this. With transgenderism being all the rage, and we are being told by the left that transgenderism uh, means we have to accept people for whatever they say they identify as. In other words, what do we hear all the time? Trans women are real women. Even if you're a biological male, if you really truly believe you're a woman, then everyone must accept you as such. Same thing with men to women, or excuse me, females to males. Well, if transgenderism can just be whatever you feel like, why not transracialism? We all remember Rachel Dolezal. Jack Windsor, is transracial, ra transracial identification acceptable if we are supposed to be accepting of transgender identification. Can a white person say, I really identify as black and vice versa and have that be accepted? Fire away. Let me, let me try to get this one around the barn uh, quickly. I used to tell a story in my past life when I was doing a lot of work with businesses. My job was to help them get the right people on the bus, put them in the right seat and get from point A to point B uh, as quickly and as, as efficiently as possible. And to me, that meant making sure that you had people doing what they were predisposed uh, or what they were excellent at doing, right? And I used to tell this story all the time that if I didn't like who I was, I could tattoo up my whole body, I could grow my hair out, I could dye it a certain color, I could move out to the West Coast, and I could tell everybody out there, I'm so-and-so's son, and I'm this, that, or the other. And I said, but here's the hard reality at the end of the day. If somebody said to me, no, 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 you're Jack Windsor's son, because my dad's name's Jack as well. You're Jack Windsor's son. I mean, I see you, I see you acting this way, but you're, and I said, if they, if they drew blood from me, and they blew, drew blood from my dad, and they looked at the DNA strands, guess what? I could say what I was all day long, but my DNA would match because we all have not only a unique DNA, but we have a DNA that, that says who we are and, and it is our lineage. That's reality. So no, I don't think that you can do that. Just as, uh, as much as I can't go to Huntington Bank tomorrow and say, I'm transfinancial, I identify as a billionaire, I've been studying, I've been transitioning for about two years, reading up on everything, I need you to put about $1 billion in my bank account. It's just, it's not going to happen. Um, so... No, I don't think that it's I don't think that it's real. I think it's real in these folks' minds. But let me get to the reason that this is happening, Bob. We talked about it actually with the coup of twenty two last week, and we talked about it with respect to you create chaos, you you divide the troops, you go to war and, and you, you you conquer and then you take power. That's what this is about, right? It's transgenderism, it's it's trans racism, it's trans it's whatever. They they being the powers that want to absolutely destroy our republic 
and destroy America. They want to divide as much as they can because the more they divide, the more that they get people on their, you know, pro-mask, pro-vaccine, uh, pro-democracy, right? Anti whatever that looks like American. And the more people they have on that side of the scale, eventually they win. And when they win, uh, a lot of useful idiots are going to celebrate because they don't know what's going to happen. But there are a lot of nefarious people at the top that are bringing these things down into our culture. And this is one of those things that's created to divide and conquer us as a people, as Americans. Got two minutes left on our clock here for this one. I'll only take one minute of it, minute of it so we can get to the next one. <clears throat> um, cultural appropriation has been a big topic among a lot of people when it comes to the races and comes to ethnicities and so on and so forth. People don't like white people wearing anything that might be uh, have had an origin in Hispanic or Latin culture. They don't want them wearing anything that might have anything. I mean, they don't even like it when, when white women or girls braid their hair because that's a total black cultural appropriation thing. The black community will not take lightly. lightly. Let me say that again. Will not take lightly the idea that a white person can identify as a black person and just get away with it and be said, yes, a, a trans black is black, just like trans women are real women. They're not going to take that. An example, the OG for all of this was Rachel Dolezal, a white girl who back in 2015 was exposed and discovered to have been pretending to be black for years to go through college and to become a president of a chapter of the NAACP. When people found out that she was white and she just wore really dark tanning, you know, uh, uh, tanner and, uh, you know, tightly braided her hair and kinked it up as best she could to make her hair look like it was uh, uh, African-American hair, all these things, she was just destroyed. And uh, I don't even know if she's ever rebounded from that. That was just one woman trying to do this. Can an entire culture allow that now given what's going on with trans uh, genderism not bloody likely not bloody likely there's uh, there's an element to this but uh, but anyway it was a great article I, I highly recommend people read that one I've tweeted it out you can see my Twitter there it's France rants but I believe I tweeted out Adam Coleman's uh, substack on that subject is it he's a black man he's got a very unique uh, position on this but uh, uh, it, it's a really great question all right Jack Windsor uh, your turn what do you got for me all right, Bob. So uh, the Ohio Department of Transportation is in the process of conducting surveys. If you go to ohioroadfunding.com, you can weigh in and share your opinion there. But I want it here first. Um, the Ohio Department of Transportation is calling the gas tax unsustainable, and they're going to use $4 million um, in federal grant money. Uh, to develop, well, actually, they've developed it. They've developed the website and uh, to undergo this study to seek public opinion on the potential funding options. If the gas tax uh, goes away because you know we're going to drive different cars, uh, spend, uh, and, and people may um, go full electric at some point, um, how do we do it? So, what's your opinion on Ohio? Uh, doing something different than the gas tax or potentially increasing the gas tax. 
I'm going to start the timer on this, but I'm going to have to ask you to give me a little more info when you say doing something different, because uh, that's a really hard question to answer. Are we talking about eliminating the gas tax and replacing it entirely with something else used to fund the construction and upkeep of our roads and our bridges and so on and so forth? Is that what we mean by something different? Or like you kind of hinted there at the end, is it raising the gas tax on those who are still going to drive internal combustion engines uh, and and use gas. But the, uh, you know, because I think currently electric car owners, uh, they pay a much higher fee for the registration of their vehicle to offset the fact that they don't contribute to the road funds in gas tax, right? I think that's, that's the right. way it currently is. So is that's that, right. so when you say, do, do we support something different? Is it one of those two things or those are all still options or what those are those are all uh, options i'm asking though what you think um the idea is that they're going to gather all of this information uh, from ohioans and then they're going to kick it over to the general assembly and then the general assembly is supposed to use that and uh you know calibrate their legislation based on what odot discovers so yes it could be eliminating it it could creating it could be uh for example uh creating i would call it a, a you know a use tax right like if you're mm -hmm. using the roads roadways and bridges more than you then you pay more uh based on mileage but, uh, based on mileage that's right but I don't like that because that means we would have to report to the government or they would have to put something on every car that's sold or retrofit every car with something that chronicles their miles. And to me, that's a violation of privacy. I don't want anybody tracking my miles. I don't want to care. You know, I, I don't, that's nobody's business other than mine. So I don't like that idea. I'll be honest with you. In my opinion, Jack, I, I think the whole thing should go away. I don't think there should be a gas tax, and I don't think there should be a, a massive uh, fee at the uh, at the BMV to register your electric vehicle. Of course, roads need to be funded. Of course, bridges need to be funded, but that's called infrastructure. And all of that, to me, should come out of the Ohio General Fund. We pay enough money in Ohio taxes and maybe that's another discussion point here, whether or not we should eliminate the uh, state tax the way some states have, like Florida and um, I think New Jersey, and I can't remember them all, but maybe that's another point of, of discussion. But as long as we're paying an Ohio state tax and there is a ton of money in the Ohio general fund, and there is, particularly because of COVID dollars that are unspent, we're talking about tens of billions of dollars. Um no, I, I don't. I don't like the idea of increasing the gas tax or uh, or or you know extending that over to the electric vehicle side. I think they should eliminate it altogether. Fund what needs funding with the general fund and go on from there. No, I I, I like how you're thinking. I, I'm not certain uh, how I feel other than you know I don't know if we've talked a lot about this in the past, mm -hmm. Bob. But uh, I, I'm I'm a guy who generally thinks that if the government is going to take my money and do something with it that I don't want, um, that's theft. So um, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge proponent of, of uh, overpaying. I'm not a huge proponent of funding everything. Um, you know, right now, for example, Governor Mike DeWine is, uh, I, I, did you listen to him, by the way, talk last week about um, what he really wants to do in this next term and um, as it relates to uh, mental health and, and making Ohio kind of the, the place where uh, mental health is exceptional. Did you, did you catch that from him? I did not catch most of that, no. Yeah. No. I, I, you know, and, and I just, again, um, 
<laughs> laws don't change people, uh, hearts change people. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot that goes on with, with mental illness and mental wellness that I don't think that the government is going to solve. So um, to your point though, bringing it around the barn with the Ohio Department of Transportation, I don't know how they, I don't know what it would look like, but I would be a fan of um, whatever I am doing, whether it's buying gas or mileage or toll roads, something, um, I'm, I'm in favor of paying for what I do uh, and what I use. Um, so I really wanna noodle that a little bit and see if there is a creative way to do it. Um, but mileage does seem, but let's think about it though, Bob, if we're filing our taxes and we're you know self-employed, uh, we we record our mileage anyway, and we report it on our taxes. So could we could we use that same type of methodology then um, to determine how much we have to pay uh, that that portion of our state tax? Yeah, you know, and and, and it, there is no real easy answer here. The bottom line is our taxes go toward whatever it is our legislators say they go toward. You know, I I don't want to say, hey, I've never had a had to respond to a break in. I've never had to have a police officer respond to a break into my home, so I don't want to place pay so much uh, for police, you know, taxes to to uh, fund our police officers or our state highway patrolmen. I don't want it to be just I used it, therefore I pay for it. You can't do it that way. It has to be available for you to use when you need it, whether it be a road, a bridge, or a cop. So that's why we have a, a republic. We we hire people to represent us, to go there and make those decisions for us on a, on a big picture for everybody, rather than each of us saying, okay, I vote for this because I use that. I don't vote for this because I don't use that. That's, you know, a true, pure democracy, of course, is a recipe for disaster. That's why we have a representative republic. So, all right, Jack Windsor, are you ready for my next one? Let's do it. I don't know what it is. Here it is. Aha. George Santos. Uh, the... <laughs> One of the four Republicans who uh, flipped seats in ultra blue New York uh, turns out to be just a great big giant fraud. He's a liar in every sense of the word. He lied about his ethnicity. He lied about his religion. He's lied about his um, his sexual orientation. He's gay, but he uh, stayed married for some seven years, I guess, to make it look like he was straight. He lied about his college experience, about having a degree, about working for financial firms and so forth. He's just a big liar. And he was elected. And now some want him run out. The Democrats want him run out of Congress. Jenna Ellis, who is a strong supporter of Trump, asks the question, if the GOP wants to be a party of principles, the majority should call upon him to resign or expel him. If you were a Democrat, we'd be calling for it. So why not now? Jack Windsor, should the Republican Party push for the expulsion of George Santos from Congress? That is a great question. Um, if I'm standing on principle, that part of me says, well, yeah, we, we want someone there that um, is honest, is trustworthy, has integrity, right? Um, because we can't uh, kvetch about the other party being something that we don't like, being dishonest, being nefarious. And then, you know, when it's our time to step up to bat, we, you know, strike out essentially. So, um, but I think that also, um, I believe in rule by law, right? Uh, what is legal? Um, what is the appropriate thing to do? Are there ways for him to 
legally be removed with cause. I think, and I don't know enough to weigh in on that, but uh, I did have a chance to see the interview that he did, uh, one of the interviews uh, that he did, and it was disturbing. Uh, you know, he tried to play down the fact that he said he's Jewish, and he said, well, you know, I have some Jewish heritage, and I would joke about it, and I would say I'm Jew ish, like kind of Jewish. Kind of like a that Jew. That was disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then they asked about his work, you know, with some of the big financial firms. And he said, basically, well, well, we, I, I worked for this company that did work with them. So technically, I, you know, I did work with them. But if I had to explain this to constituents, it would basically be over their head. And so then, you know, now he's talking as if he's some elitist and he just seems like uh, a habitual liar. That is extremely disturbing. Um, is it illegal? Uh, I don't know. If there's a way for him to um, lawfully <laughs> be removed and his constituents want that, I think that's the, the important part. If his constituents want that, if they did a recall election or something, perhaps that's the way to do it. But um, yeah, I, it's not something that I uh, like and it's not something that I support. So you would support him being expelled if you can find a legal way to do it? Yeah, if there's okay. a loophole that says let's have a recall election, let his constituents decide. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. think there is. I don't think there is uh, because um, this isn't. A, he didn't get hired by a firm who could then fire him for cause. He was elected, and it's up to the electors, the voters, to vet their candidates. It's up to them to look and say, all right, what do I know about this guy? It's also up to the press. A curious press used to be the, uh, you know, the vetter, if you will. That's why they run slates in their op-ed pages um, before every election. This is who we looked into. This We interviewed them. We looked at their backgrounds and so forth. And here's who we recommend. Here's who we endorse. And um, it's up to the electors. And then in this case, it's a buyer beware situation. You didn't do a very thorough job of vetting the guy and you voted for him and now he's here. Now, do I, as a GOP person of integrity, want that guy representing my party? No, I don't. But you know what? Elizabeth Warren lied for years about being a Native American, lied through her teeth to get jobs, to get advantages and promotions, and lied as a U.S. senator. Nobody called for her to be removed because she's a big, fat liar. Hillary Clinton lied for years and years as a senator, as a first lady, <clears throat> As a secretary of state, remember, I landed under sniper, sniper fire in Bosnia and I almost got killed and all of that stuff. She was all just was a blatant false. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Joe Biden, the current oh. president of the United States. I have an article in front of me that I only reason it's here is because I used it on the radio. It's by uh, Mark Deason. And it, and it covers uh, just some of the most. And you could make this a, a six volume text, but it's just one article with a limit of probably 750 words in which it covers everything Joe Biden about uh, Joe, Joe Biden lied about uh, from his college career to his uh, Senate career, to his work career, to things that happened while he was on the job. I mean, it's just a litany. He is he's pathological. The guy is pathological. That that guy, Joe Biden. Uh, continues to tell people in speeches that his son died in combat. His son died of brain cancer six, eight months after coming back from Iraq. But he wants people to think, you know, oh, what a terrible thing. His son died in combat. It's a terrible thing that his son died, period. That should be enough. But he has to lie about it and embellish it. My point being, if George Santos is run out of Congress, Joe Biden should be run out of the White House. He's told more lies than George Santos has. And as a matter of fact, what I would say to George Santos is this. Don't voluntarily, voluntarily resign and step down. In fact, 
Set your sights higher. You should have the aspiration to be a president one day. Because if Joe Biden can do it, you sure as hell can do it. That's the way I see it. Well said, Bob. Jack, we probably have time for one more for each of us, like three minutes probably each. Yep. Okay. So uh, there's an Ohio lawmaker uh, in the Ohio House. His name is Richard Brown. He's a Democrat from Canal Winchester. And he wants to use DeMar Hamlin's situation in Cincinnati on January 2nd when he collapsed. Um, He wants to use that to make sure that um, AED devices are required at all public and private schools um, and public recreation facilities across the state. Uh, Is that a good use of the DeMar Hamlin uh, tragedy? Uh, Is it a bad use or somewhere in between? Um, The AED device is what? Is is, is that uh, like, because I think uh, there are defibrillators already. Yes. It's a defibrillator. I mean, there are defibrillators in almost every gym. Well, let me you look. Know, hold on. What, every hold Planet on. Fitness, every World Gym, every this, that, the other thing. I think there's defib kits everywhere in case somebody has a cardiac emergency. So if they're saying have that at all sporting events too, okay. I, I, don't, I don't see the controversy in it, to be truthful, if that's all it is. Is no. that it? Okay. Is it a defib That's kit it. or is it something else? Yeah, I'm looking at AED and it essentially is a, it's a defib uh, lifeline. So yeah, that's what it looks I've like. I've never walked into a gym. In fact, there's a defib kit already. Um, when my kids were playing CYO sports, they're both in college now, but this isn't that long ago. You walk into virtually every gym that hosts CYO games, there's, in addition to fire extinguishers on the walls, there's defib kits. I mean, cardiac events can happen almost anywhere where athletic activity is happening particularly now, but I don't think there's much controversy in that. I say, sure. Uh, you want to make sure that it's on every, you know, if you got to throw in a few bucks for it, you know, from the state fund to make sure that there is something like that. I mean, hell, it might be an 89 year old man watching his great grandkid play basketball in a gym or play football. He might collapse. And if you've got something there to be a life-saving uh, tool like that, I've got no problem with that. Yeah. This bill was in the general assembly, uh, uh, last session it's it, he'll reintroduce it this session. I think it's a good bill. Frankly, I thought that that was already required. Um, I was I, I was I fooled by too. this one. And yeah. uh, but here's what I'm also going to say. I'm going to use this as a platform to to pitch our our Thursday night. Thursday night we'll have a cardiologist with uh, us, yeah. and I think it's super important for states to investigate big pharma and say, what the hell did you mean that these were completely safe and completely effective? Uh, I think think if we're going to do the AEDs, we absolutely have to do those types of investigations. And we'll have that conversation Thursday on our next uh, Talk and Smack, which I'm looking forward to. And Jack, I'm glad that was your last question for me because it kind of unwittingly uh, ties into what my last question is for you. Bruce, let's throw that one up. I don't know who this person on Twitter is, Seb Lee, doesn't matter. It's the question that got me, and it got a lot of responses. Can you forgive those who acted the way they did because they were afraid? I don't think I need to explain what the context of that is intended to be, Jack. You know it, and so do I. So I'm setting a three-minute timer here. Go ahead. Mm. (laughs) Well, can you forgive? Can you forget? And can you forego? Those are three separate things, right? Uh, yeah, I can forgive anybody if um, 
and forgiveness is mine to give, right? And forgiveness is actually probably more about me than the person I'm forgiving. Uh, yeah, I can forgive somebody if they are genuinely repentant. And what I mean by repentant is that they look at it and they see it differently now and say, look, I, I screwed up and will you please forgive me? Yes, I can, I can forgive you. I won't forget it. Uh, neither will I forego what the consequence should be if there needs to be a consequence. I'm gonna go back to the conversation we had earlier when I talked about nefarious forces that are trying to divide people. There are absolutely nefarious people who knew what was going on. Uh, they knew what was effective, they knew what was ineffective, they knew that things could kill other people. Um, and then there were a lot of useful idiots who uh, allowed the people who, who were perpetuating and perpetrating the fear to get a grip on them. And, um, you know, I can forgive those folks, uh, but there are some other people that they have hell to pay and they need to pay. And uh, I'm not one of those guys that's just like, hey, you know what? Uh, honest mistake. Let's move on. There's no consequence. No, there are consequences and somebody needs to pay. Um, I'm going to use part of the remaining minute 30 left on this question to answer it, but also to kind of follow up with you. The way I read the question of the tweet, it's not can you forgive the doctors or the you know the uh, the researchers who push these poison darts and not can we forgive the government for mandating it and blah 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 can you forgive those who pushed you to get it and who maybe demonized you maybe criticized you maybe said you're going to be one of the ones who kills grandma uh because they were afraid Th throw that tweet back up there again if you would please because uh, I want to read it exactly correctly and I want to make sure. Can you forgive those who acted the way they did because they were afraid? So, because, thank you, Bruce. So, the, because they, uh, they, they were victims of the fear-mongering of those who said, be, be afraid, be very afraid. This thing is going to kill you. It's going to kill your grandma. It's going to kill your kids. It's going to kill everybody. You better get the shot before you kill, kill a whole bunch of people. These people were terrified. If they demonized you or if they made you feel guilty or if they said, I'm not going to work if that guy's going to work. I don't want him in the same building as me. He's, uh, he's not vaccinated. Can you forgive those people who are not speaking out of meanness or out of anger but out of terror because they were, they were victimized by the uh, fear-mongering of the government? Yeah, I, I can do that. I can do that. Look, Bob, I've had people. I had an, an attorney in Mansfield, Ohio, who called the TV station I was looking for and threatened a lawsuit uh, because he was ignorant and he was asinine. Uh, I had friends that I went to high school with who um, <laughs> did the same thing. I had a band of people that I went to high school with um, who, you know, they were all smarter than me growing up. Everybody was. But I was the blockhead. I was the athlete. I was ignorant. And I was leading this coup that was going to kill grandma and, and put everyone in harm's way. And they said and did some really bad things if they came to me and asked for forgiveness i'd forgive them am i still a little that's pissed key. off sometimes you bet that's key i love that if they actually apologize do they want forgiveness i'm not just going to blanket say everybody who called me a murderer or a potential murderer called me stupid for not taking the dart not trusting the science and thinking you know more than dr fauci does and the people who dressed me down for those things you ask my forgiveness i will consider that i'm not just going to say yeah you were scared all you people it's okay it's all good we cool now no we're not cool you need to ask my forgiveness and mean it jack i was looking at the wrong clock before we still have two and a half minutes left you got one more for me or are you empty? Oh, man. Oh, man. Shevitz. Let me see. Let's see if I can. Uh, um, what do you think? No, no, I don't think I have anything else unless you want to get into. Oh, no, I, I do know what I want to talk okay. about. We got about Bob. two minutes. Yes. Uh, Hilliard City School Districts. Are you familiar with this one? 
Uh, the lawsuit. I don't know. I'm familiar with some of Hilliard because okay. we've had, we've had we've had conversations on the radio about some things going on there. My understanding is that there are a group of 12 parents uh, of children in Hilliard City School District uh, that will be filing a 36-page lawsuit with the United States District Court in the Southern District of Ohio uh, for declaratory judgment and for injunction. Now, the declaratory judgment would be uh, to ensure that parents have rights to have access to treatments offered to their students by the school and any information that's gathered by the school when they interact and talk and discuss with these students. And then the injunction would be to, to enjoin the school from or stop the school from actively soliciting these private sexual conversations with students. So um, Hilliard City School District is being sued by 12 parents in the United States Federal District Court. Well, I've got less than a minute to answer this, and I guess that's okay, because given my vast legal experience and my law degree, um, uh, I can absolutely respond uh, uh, intelligently to a 36-page lawsuit that I just now heard of that hasn't even been filed yet. Uh, that's my smart-ass way of saying, of course I support it. Because everything they're doing at that school to the parents, if they are talking to the kids about things that the parents have a right to know about and they're hiding it from them and making sure that they don't tell them about these sexualized conversations and trying to uh, get these kids to think about maybe being something different or asking themselves, that's called grooming. So if what you said to me, Jack, in all of that language is the parents are suing the school for trying to groom their kids, what do you think my answer is going to be, my friend? What's yours? Hell Yes. <laughs> there you go. We did it. All of our legal experience right there in less than uh, 60 seconds. Uh, I look forward to learning more about that one, Jack, and I'm sure you're going to have more of it in the Ohio Press Network, right? You betcha. That's what we're going to look forward to. And we'll, we'll, in fact, we'll probably talk about it on the radio as well. For those who don't know, Jack is my regular Wednesday commentator on all of the things going on in Ohio news and beyond on AM 1420, The Answer in Cleveland. So uh, Jack Windsor uh, and I will indeed discuss that there. And we'll be, we'll be back on Thursday for our next live this one will be a live Talk and Smack podcast in which we're going to talk with, to a cardiologist about the reality of what's going on with all of these people uh, dropping suddenly with cardiac events. Um, that was, you know, obviously the most famous of which was on national television during an NFL game, but it is not the only one. There are tons of them happening. So we'll look forward to that uh, coming up on Thursday. Jack, hey, Bob, I word? do have one more question. Yeah, one more question. So if you're the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, do you, I mean, you were taught, right? Do you, do you, do you reach over? Do you try to break the, the plane of the goal line that far out, man? Not that far out. You saw that Trevor Lawrence did that on the two-point conversion, uh, which gave them the opportunity to win uh, in, in against the uh, Chargers on Saturday. He did the same thing. Big, long, six-foot-five guy reached out there and it was unobstructed, but he was only like a foot out. Uh, Tyler Huntley was too far. Uh, Huntley was too far back. He was like on the two or something, and he had no chance of reaching over there. Tremendous play by the Bengals, uh, and I still hope the Bengals lose because I hate Huday. All right, that's it. Uh, that's all the time we got for talking smack. Maybe we'll talk more smack about that on Thursday as well. Jack, thank you, buddy. Thank you, Bob. Thanks everybody for listening to Talking Smack. See you next time.